The reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Thanks, Bev. And can we commend Steve on his great taste in clothing? As did I say? Just one step closer to the PBC uniform I keep pushing for, but um, we will get there. As we jump into a new series today, I'd love it if you could turn to someone around you and just share uh, what is it that draws you to other people. It doesn't have to be a super spiritual answer. It could be something that you admire, something that you respect, maybe something that you're curious about, maybe something that you want to experience for yourself. What is it in others that sort of draws you to them? 30 seconds, turn around and talk to the person next to you. All right, how do we go? Hopefully that's easy to identify that that there is a sense for all of us that we know what it is to be drawn to something uh, in another person. Maybe it is something that we want to learn from them or something that we see in them that we're just curious to know about. For myself, uh, I'm always a fan of of someone with a common interest that draws me to them. But more significant than that, maybe it's those, those guys who are a little bit older than me and I see the way they interact with their kids and they speak to their kids and they just seem to be, they seem to have got that whole parenthood fatherhood thing uh, down, and I'm kind of drawn to them, wanting to to learn uh, from them. Maybe it's the Christian that's been following Jesus for decades and decades and decades, and yet their passion seems to remain as fresh and as vital as ever, and you're kind of drawn to them, aren't you? Because you you want to know, like, why is that? How are you doing that? Uh, And I would like to walk in that um, myself. Well, we've made it really abundantly clear that as a church, that we have this desire, this desire to see an increase in transformed lives, lives being transformed as they encounter the person and the work of Jesus. And there is no greater transformation that a person can experience than the move from death to life as they find faith in Jesus for the first time. As as Savior and Lord, he begins to renew and to restore and to redeem all things uh, in their lives. And so we're going to jump into a new series that will run throughout the rest of the term, looking at what it means to be actually a people that others are drawn to who don't yet have faith. I would love it if, as you sit through this series, that if you know and love Jesus, what I want you to hear abundantly clearly is that God is using you in the places that you have been placed to draw others to him. That there's actually something about your life and your faith and your witness that is attractive, almost magnetic for those who haven't yet experienced that for themselves. And this is, of course, the call of 2 Corinthians 5.20, that you know, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. In the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we interact with the world around us, and there is something so of Jesus in us 
that those who are open to the things of the kingdom would be drawn to us. And we want to be this sort of people, don't we? Don't we want to be the kind of people that are placed in communities and in relationships and that the Christ in us is so evident that it is drawing, it is attractive. We almost become a magnetic for those who are open to the gospel. And not everyone will respond so positively, of course. Some will misunderstand us or not understand us. Uh, some uh, will be so set in their own ways that will actually be uh, offended, almost repelled uh, by the kingdom values that we live. And yet for those who are open to and maybe curious, maybe searching for, maybe longing for what we have found in the person of Jesus, they will see that in us and be drawn to us. So that's what this series is about, and we're going to kick it off today. I'm just going to remind you once again of this great passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 5 that Bev read out for us. Jesus, very early on in his ministry, but one of these kind of core messages that he has, the Sermon on the Mount, proclaims to people who have not yet been filled with the Spirit and sent out into the world to be disciple makers, yet he claims of them, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Now, if this is your first time hearing this passage and hearing these metaphors, I just want to quickly explain that salt was an incredibly valuable commodity back in the first century, and it had many purposes, but two key ones I think Jesus has in mind for his followers here. And the first is that salt is a preservative. It slows down decay. Some of his closest and earliest followers were fishermen. I don't know if you've ever caught a fish and then not refrigerated it for a while, but they decay really quickly and it's really nasty when they do, right? You want to get that fish into contact with salt as quickly as possible. This is in an age before refrigeration, right? So that you slow down the decay of of that fish. And just like now, salt was also used to to flavor, to enhance uh, food in, in cooking. And so the idea is that not only does the presence of disciples of Jesus slow down the moral decay of the culture around them, but their presence is meant to also flavor and enhance the culture around them with the values of the kingdom of God. Uh, Similarly, disciples of Jesus are to be light in a culture. Now, light reveals, it drives out darkness, it can guide and it can guard and it can make you feel safe. And in the same way, disciples are to have this light-giving, life-bearing ministry as they live. And I think one of the challenging things uh, for us as we think about these words spoken to early disciples, but also across the ages to us, is that Jesus doesn't say, one day you will become the salt of the earth, or one day you will become the light of the world. He doesn't say, all right, come together. Once you've learned the right things to do in the right way, with the right people at the right time, with the right motives, then, and only then, will you be salt and light. He actually says, you are. You are now the salt of the earth and the light of the world. For those who are listening and engaging with what it means to live in the kingdom of God and then devoting themselves to living that way in their lives, they are already salt of the earth and light of the world. So I want to be a little bit childish and get us to say something aloud together. Can we do that? We're not beyond that. All right, good. I would love it if, as one, we can just say this. We are the salt of the earth and light of the world. Ready, set, go. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
All right, now if you know somebody that's sitting next to you and you know they love Jesus, why don't you turn to them and proclaim over them that you are the salt of the earth and light of the world? That's that's good, that's good. I was a little awkward, but that's all right. Let's make it a little more personal now. Why don't you say, just really slowly, I am the salt of the earth and light of the world. Why don't you pray that? Why don't you say, thank you, God, that I am the salt of the earth and light of the world. We'll do a bit of turning to each other and speaking today. So as you spoke that, would you just share with the person around you how you felt in response to that declaration over yourself, that I am the salt of the earth and light of the world? How did you feel in response, just that emotional response? All right, we'll keep moving. Look, I'm really hoping that, that amongst my brothers and sisters in this room, there are some of you that, that say that and your hearts just sing and you say, amen, I'm in total alignment and agreement with that statement. I am the salt of the earth and light of the world. I'm hoping that for some of you, there, there's an encouragement there that you feel spurred on and inspired. You're like, yes, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to be among the people and the places that God has sent me. Uh, maybe for some of us, we almost feel a little bit like catalyzed and a little bit like mobilized, like someone's lit a bit of a fire under our, our backsides and we're like, man, I'm going I'm to take this with both hands this week and run with it. And yet I wonder if for many of us, including myself, you know, I, I say that statement over myself and there's a little bit of awkward insecurity about it. Because I see what I, I see modeled in Jesus and I think, well, I'm not being the salt of the earth like that or I'm not being the light of the world uh, like that. And maybe there's an invitation there, if that's you, just to, to press that little bit deeper into your own personal walk with God and the way that's lived out in your lives. And yet Jesus doesn't put any behavior modifications or conditions on this statement. He looks at those who have gathered around him and said, if you are my follower, this is who you are. And this is how you function in the world. That you are going to preserve moral decay, you are going to enhance, you are going to flavor, you are going to reveal the truth and the beauty of the kingdom of God in and through your lives. And I think one of the most important ways, the most fundamental ways we do this is something that we already have, and that is a genuine living faith. Before we're called into programs or trying to remember clever presentations around the gospel, we are first and foremost disciples, those who have encountered the love of God expressed to us in Jesus firsthand, those who are filled with his spirit and those who have now oriented their lives around him as our Lord and our Savior. Right there, we have that genuine faith that means we can be, that we are in fact the salt of the earth and the light of the world, those through whom God is drawing others unto himself. And so we look, as always, to the life of Jesus in this, who is our example and our model. We are his disciples, we are his followers, those who are increasingly learning to live and love like him. And one of the things that is perhaps so obvious about his life that we can often just skip over is that Jesus was a man of genuine living faith. I don't think anybody in this room would disagree with that. And that genuine living faith in God was so powerful in drawing people to him, into spiritual conversations with him, and ultimately by the grace of God to faith in him. 
Now, for a first century Jew, one of the most magnetic and confronting things about Jesus was the genuine intimacy with which he spoke about his relationship with God. And as the crowds gathered around him, as they responded to what he was teaching and praying and doing, what they recognized in him was something real, not contrived, not manufactured, not designed to manipulate, not based on somebody else's experience or knowledge, not something that only looked good when he was up the front in public ministry and didn't match when he was alone, but what they saw in him was this genuine living faith. No matter what he was doing, no matter where he was, no matter who he was among, no matter what was coming against him, height of ministry, lows of ministry, he has this genuine living faith. And it makes him one of the most magnetic, attractive people that speaks about what life in the kingdom looks like, what a relationship with God looks like. We see in Jesus that his, his whole life was oriented around his relationship with God. You, you see this, don't you? That God is the one who is guiding him, who is leading him, who is directing him. Everything is oriented towards bringing God glory. And so we have some of these great verses recorded for us from the lips of Jesus in the Gospels. That he who sent me is with me. Jesus has this understanding that God is with him, present with him, as he proclaims the goodness and greatness of the Father. And his life orientation is that I always do those things that please him. So much does he love his father and have this great relationship with his father that he's often withdrawing simply to be alone with God. He's not simply preaching a a clever idea or calling people to a different worldview. He's calling them to what he's modeling, a living relationship with the living God. We see him even think through what he does through the lens of his relationship with his father. You know, I do not seek my own will, John 5, verse 30, but the will of the Father who sent me. Same too in John 14, verse 10, the words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. You also read that at the deepest level of what it means to be human, in terms of our motivation and our satisfaction and our fulfillment, that Jesus says that actually my food, the thing that satisfies me, the thing that drives me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And even at the most profoundly intimate and personal level, around self-worth and self-identity, Jesus' relationship with his father flavors everything. You know, you know, there's this story in John chapter 2 and just this little record in verse 24 where John records that Jesus would not entrust himself to the people. I think what he's getting at there is there is that he's not going to define himself and his self-understanding by what people would say of him or how they would view him. And he's not going to be responsible for doing what they want him to do, but he's going to remain in that place of being a beloved son of God and living out of that place. And a few chapters later in chapter 5, uh, he actually openly says this, that the father loves the son. So Jesus has this delightfully personal and profound understanding that he is loved And that that's going to be the place from which he derives his identity and his self-worth. It's a beautiful and powerful thing, isn't it? Genuine, living faith. A relationship with God that flavors and touches every part of our lives. So I have a quick, uh, another question for you. And I think you can probably just shout um, this one out. That as you're thinking about it, what does genuine faith look like for us today? Is Jesus our model, our example, living in first uh, century uh, Israel? What does genuine faith look like today for us?
Any ideas? Any more on that one? Yeah, absolutely. We have such a genuine experience of God's love made manifest in our lives that it can't help but spill over into a way that we treat and interact with the world around us and the people in our lives. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, mercy and forgiveness um, comes from that place of experiencing it from him ourselves and that being a genuine thing that flows on to others. Great. I was trying to work out, I was doing some maths. I reckon, was there 200 people here this morning? How, what do you reckon the average years it is everyone's been following Jesus? I figured even conservatively, it's got to be 10 years per person. Is anybody less than 10? So that means there's two millennia worth of following Jesus' experience in this room. So we've got any other answers? What does genuine faith look like? Being authentic. Being authentic, key word that we're going to come back to, absolutely. Yep. We're not putting on an act, we're not living someone else's faith. This is our faith that we live out authentically uh, amongst the places and the people that God has placed us. Yep. Loving people, stepping outside your comfort zone. Loving people, stepping outside your comfort zone. Yep. A gentleness. Letting that flow on, absolutely. That was sorry. That was giving for those who didn't hear that. Uh, trust. Yep. Trusting God. Yep. Yep. Sorry. That, who was that? Going the extra mile for people. Yeah. Yeah. Living in light of hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Faith when there's, even when there's a cost. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm hoping we could brainstorm that for another couple of hours, um, and then um, I'll jot some notes down and give it to the 5.30 tonight. But um, no, no, I mean, uh, you guys get it, don't you? Like, I mean, genuine faith flavors everything. Uh, and there's so many ways that it turns up in our lives, and we'll look at some of those specifically in the coming weeks. Uh, but what I just want to to kind of leave us with and give us uh, today is that idea that when we think about being salt and light amongst the people and the places that God has placed us, when we think about what it is in us that's actually going to draw people into spiritual conversations or draw people to us and hopefully draw people to faith in God because Christ lives in us, that genuine living faith piece is the most important thing that we have. That we actually have a living relationship with the living God and that other people can actually see that. And I think this is really important. It actually needs to be observable. Genuine faith authentically lived out is observable to those around us. Uh, and I'm not talking about wearing slogans on T-shirts or being that person that, you know, like the CrossFit people that always want to get in there, that they go to CrossFit, you know, that you're always getting in, that you go to church. Uh, this is just that sense of the natural way that following Jesus can't help but be observed in your life by those closest to you and those around you. Now, I actually see this uh, in Jesus being, being really clear, even in some of the most hard points of his life where he's, where he's wrestling with that faith hits life in serious ways, like that wrestle that he has in the Garden of Gethsemane. He invites people to be near him to witness that. 
Even as we think about the beginning of his ministry, as he's led out into the desert to be tempted, and there's that kind of wonderful commitment and conviction that he has to basically choose the hard road of obedience to the Father's will, that's something that he obviously told people, because otherwise, how else do we have it in our scriptures? So he was inviting people into seeing what his relationship with God looked like, how he actually worked out his faith. It was observable by those around him. Just one quick story. This is from John chapter 11. might be a a slightly weird one for today. But we're talking about when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He prays this prayer that he didn't really need to pray, but he wanted what was happening to be observable and set the context for what was about to happen. So we read in verse 41 that based on his instruction, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. There is this openness, this this invitation to those who are gathered there to kind of go behind the curtain a little bit, if you like, and actually see Jesus' relationship with the Father, how he experiences the Father, how he looks to the Father, that the miracle that is about to take place is of God and is from God in response to Jesus praying. Uh, It was not strictly necessary for the miracle to be performed, or for how people would see or view or treat Jesus in response to it. But he lives this faith, this relationship with God, out really visibly around him. You know, I said before at the beginning that one of the things I'm attracted to is other guys who are just just nailing fatherhood, and I'm like, I feel like I want to learn from you. Now, that's obviously only the dads where there's some sort of level of visibility about how they parent uh, observable to me. Does that that make sense? Right? I'm not drawn to dads that I never see interact with their kids or never hear them talk about their kids or no one else in the office even knows they had kids. Right? See where I'm going? There needs to be something observable in them for me to be drawn to and want to know more about. Well, the same is, is true of us. Uh, genuine living faith, authentically lived, is and it needs to be observable to those around us. That is how they'll be drawn into those spiritual conversations uh, and hopefully, by God's grace, ultimately to faith through our life and our witness. So a little question there, not to turn or not to shout out, but just to take home is, how visible is your faith among those you are placed? How observable is your love for God among those whom God has placed you? If you didn't tell them that you love and follow Jesus, would they be able to see it? So we want to be a people who have genuine living faith that help draw other people to faith. So we want to be living in ways that's observable. And I think one of the unique opportunities that we have in our culture is that this value of authenticity actually aligns with the value of our culture. So much in our culture possibly is set up and opposed to the things of the kingdom, and yet this is something that our culture is yearning for, that our culture is looking for. So don't underestimate the power of authenticity when reaching our culture. Instead of thinking about programs and presentations, actually think about how do I live authentically as a lover, as a follower of Jesus in my life. So I do a bunch of reading. One of the things that I'm I'm drawn to some strange stuff. Um, One of the things I I really am drawn to at the moment uh, is people who try and dissect culture. 
Like as a preacher, we're called to biblical exegesis, that is to understanding and interpreting the scriptures, uh, and all good preachers also open up something else and try and do cultural exegesis, try to understand and interpret the culture around us so that we can speak into it from the living word of God. Uh, and one of the things um, that we're seeing uh, in culture, um, particularly among millennials and this generation that's coming up, that's starting to flavor um, all of culture, is this value on authenticity, this almost relentless pursuit of and desire desire for, yearning for authenticity. The generation coming up are uniquely conditioned to see through the inauthentic. They've been advertised to their entire lives. They've grown up with Photoshop and social media and that perfectly curated social media post with the filter applied and all that kind of stuff. They've seen the discrepancy between what leaders say and what leaders do. They're disappointed by powers and those in authority. And so they have this like inherent, like like they can just see through things that are fake and false and inauthentic. And so I do a bunch of reading, actually, not from Christian sources, but from, from, from advertisers and from businesses, because this is incredibly disruptive to them. They can't advertise via traditional means. Things that worked in the past don't work for them now. There was a, some research done uh, that actually showed that for a millennial, uh, the thing they value most in a company is authenticity above whether or not the product that company sells is of any use to them. You think about that for a second. We used to go, do we need it? Let's buy it. Is it going to be useful? Let's buy it. For a generation coming up, they're like, is the company that's selling it to me authentic? Whatever that means. We're just going to learn from culture here for a second, if that's okay. So, so one, one of the agencies that I was reading about this week that's trying to just break down and go, okay, so what do they mean by that? What do they mean by authentic? So they basically just went, when it comes down to it, there's this intersection of five things that millennials mean by being uh, authentic, what they're looking for in culture. And the first is uh, being real or being true. Second is being genuine and being sincere. And the subset of that was, now this is the really interesting one, um, being original or unique, having integrity or grit, and being human. Uh, And so it's the idea that companies, secular companies, are starting to think through what the culture actually wants from us. What they're actually looking for us is to show that we're not faking it, that we're not selling something that's not true, that it's not a lie, that, that it is actually real and it is actually true. And then they want to see from us that as we reach out with the invitation to buy our product or come to our program or whatever it is, that we're genuine and sincere in that. That we're not just driven by profit, that we actually care about, we want to add value to the people that we connect with. And underneath that, it's like we're not just doing what someone else is doing, but we understand how we're uniquely and individually positioned to share this Having integrity and grit just means you don't kind of flake out when things get tough or when culture goes this way, you don't go that way. And they want to see being human, not some faceless corporation trying to sell something to them. This is why the rise of small businesses has gone through the roof because people who crave authenticity are more likely to buy a product of someone that they know and that they can say, I actually want to support you, not just buy your product And as I was looking at this little graph and I was reading through this blog, I thought, well, what a unique opportunity we have as believers in 2020, because that's what our faith is, isn't it? Like, it's true and it's real that we have this God who has made himself known to us in the person and work of Jesus, that our faith is real. And as we live it out authentically, well, then it is genuine and it is sincere. It's not something that we're faking. It's not something that our parents told us we had to do. Those people have already left the faith, right, by my age. Like, it is genuine and it is sincere. 
And that as we think through what it looks like to be unique and to be personal, it's like, well, that's Christianity 101. Every person has a personal testimony and experience of God in the circumstances that they are experiencing right now. We're not inviting people just to go, hey, here's this book and here's these rules and here's these truths. We're saying, hey, last week I was really struggling with this and this is how my God showed up or this is how my faith played out in this environment. Integrity and grit, well, it's a lot easier to not follow Jesus in Australia in 2020, I can assure you that. Like we're staying the course through the ups and downs, no matter what culture is doing around us, we're going to follow Jesus. And being human, well, I think that's the invitation for us all, not to try and look too shiny to our not-yet-Christian friends. To be able to say, hey, this is how faith turns up in my life. This is how I experience God. And this is how I'm actually still learning how to embrace some of these things that I believe to be true, but I sometimes have struggle um, walking in. Brian Stone captures this perfectly when he writes, What the gospel needs most is not intellectual brokers or cultural diplomats, but rather saints who have taken up the way of the cross and in whose lives the gospel is visible, palpable, and true. Genuine, living faith. That's what we're called into. And I think when we do this in an observable, authentic way amongst those who do not yet know Jesus, that for some, not all, but for some, they're going to be drawn to that. There's going to be something that is attractive about how you respond to circumstances in life. There's going to be something magnetic about the way that you talk about your relationship with God that is going to draw them to you. And we're not the end goal. They're going to draw them into spiritual conversations, into spiritual exploration, and hopefully into spiritual faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. One of the best, most effective foundational ways to live from that place is simply to have a genuine living faith authentically lived amongst those who God has placed you. So bless you as you experience God in the day-to-day.